0: Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at
1: ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's class. Alright, so last week we talked about um, James' opening, where he talks about, you know, you're going to encounter trials. Uh, You're going to encounter things that are going to come into your life that are going to be a frustration, they're going to be a struggle. And we used uh, Jesus' teaching on the parable of the sower to kind of paint a broad picture of what James is getting at. And in the parable of the sower, uh, Jesus talks about this farmer who goes out, spreads the seed, and that seed falls on different kinds of soil And though that soil, uh, I've heard uh, sometimes pastors, preachers, teachers say, well, it it describes four kinds of people or four heart conditions. And for the longest time, I thought, well, yeah, that's right. But uh, anymore, I I don't know that that is necessarily true. And here's what I mean by that. How, How many of you can say, well, sometimes I'm in the good soil, Sometimes on the crusty soil, sometimes on the thorny soil, and so I think what it describes is situations uh, that we may find ourselves in uh, by our own choices, by our own designs, by our own will. Um, so I, I want to be careful um, as we, you know, talk about that. We're not nec- necessarily spending a whole lot of time talking about the parable of the sower, uh, but don't think just because somebody who uh, at one time, it seemed like you know, they, were, they were kind of that compacted path. You, know, you shared the gospel with them, and it was gone in a heartbeat. That doesn't mean the next time they won't be the good soil so, or, or at some point down the road. But that being said, um, we talked last week about the rocky soil. Uh, or we use that as kind of this overall picture of what James is talking about here. And the idea that underneath the ground, there's a, there's a thin layer of soil, and that seed uh, germinates and it begins to develop. But the problem is it has no ability to go down and get water and nutrients and things that it needs to survive. It has no root, is what Jesus says. And so because it has no root, no foundation, it falters as soon as the things that are meant to bring it life come along, right? Sun, the wind. Uh, so the, the sun just causes it to burn up. And I got to thinking about that, uh, that issue this week, and Kathy and I were talking about some stuff in preparation for her. She went to the women's encounter this week and some other things, and we got to talking about expectations. Um, isn't it true that our expectations determine whether or not we feel fulfilled or not. I mean, just think about it. I, I, it's easy for me to think in terms of my job. Um, you might think of it in terms of your, you know, your children, your family, whatever. But for me, it's easy to think. In ter- if my expectation is that you know, I'm going to go to work and I have my list. Uh, I was in the office all this week, so I had my list. I was going to do these things each day. And at the end of the day, I might have crossed three of them off and taken 27 phone calls and put out fires and put wheels back on and all that kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, I don't feel very fulfilled because my expectation is I'm going to get this list done. When in reality, my job is to do all of that stuff. And so my point is our expectations will determine in a lot of ways, how we respond to God when we encounter trials, if our expectation is trials are going to come, then we're less shaken by them, right and that's the whole point of what James is saying. You will encounter various trials. So this week, uh, we're looking at the next part of this um, section in James chapter one when um, the Well, the summary that James gives in chapter 12 is kind of the anchor point of this two-pronged approach that James is sharing. And he says, Blessed is the man uh, who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. That's the hope. That is the expectation. It's not that we're going to be successful. It's not that we're going to have everything that we want. It's that we're going to finish. God is going to bring us to the place that he ultimately wants us to be, which is with him. Well, then James jumps right in and he begins to talk about temptation. So uh, this week we're going to talk about the thorny soil. Now remember, this is uh, the farmer throws seed, and in this place... Uh, the the um, text isn't clear, but because I'm an agronomist, I'm going to say this more than likely the thorn seed is in the ground, and the seed goes out there, and all of a sudden these two things start growing up together. We have thorns growing with the intended crop. Now, my question, as we get started here, is what do the thorns represent? afternoon <laughs> in the wall in, in Michael's parking lot and okay. not getting people to cooperate in. <laughs> it yeah.
0: For me it's the it's the daily or even just the unexpected irritations of life. Okay. Things that are irritating okay
1: For those people, Okay, So Jesus actually says, as he's explaining the parable to his disciples, he says the thorns are the worries of this life. And there's another one that he says. Does anybody know what it is? The deceitfulness of riches. Notice the word. Not just riches. Jesus doesn't say riches. He says the deceitfulness of riches. Uh, thorns here are the things that are growing up right alongside the truth they are competing ideas with the truth now what do we call a competing idea with the truth Benita you're a teacher go to a student you say did you do your homework and they say yeah <laughs> they lo- the dog ate it right Something that competes with the truth is a lie, right? The thorns in this case represent lies. Um, it's important for us to, I think, have this this discussion when it concerns truth. We know that God is truth. Jesus, you know, Jesus when he was talking to his disciples one time said, "I am the way, the life, and the truth." Um is there anything in this world that exists outside of God that is true? This is a philosophical argument. People have been having this for years. See, the humanistic philosophy says, well, yeah, there are some things that are true that don't necessarily have to do with God and religion. And and the scientist or or the um, the person who is a naturalist would say the same things. There are natural laws that are in place. Well, as uh, people who have an a understanding of God say, well, yeah, that's true, but the reason that it's true is because God, put, God ordained those things. God created those things to be that way. Of course, they would say, no, he didn't, there is. But are there things that exist in this world outside of God that are truth. What do you think? No right or wrong answer here. Like I said, this debate's been going on for years, and we're not going to solve it in 45 minutes.
0: I say when, and this is my mindset, and I don't mean anything, I'll give you a dollar in a minute, so it'll be worth something. But when it's all over, there's not going to be anything left but So in that sense, there's no truth but God. Because he's going to destroy everything else. Whatever we thought it was, it's going to be gone. There's nothing that's going to stand up to his fire, to his whatever. It'll all be destroyed. So, in that sense, God is the only true truth that there is. Yep. Yes. The Bible verse that says all good things come from him. -hmm. He created everything Mm -hmm. and everything
1: that's good came from him. Yep. And and that is uh, the way that I have always come down on this side of the issue is that all truth, originates and emanates from God. Anything that does not originate and emanate from God <coughs> is false. Uh, I had a friend in Kansas City. He, used, he had this, um, he was African American um, and grew up in the really tough neighborhoods in Wyandotte County, Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, and so he had a unique way of saying it. But you know, his, the, the way that he would talk about it, he, say, he would say, if you can touch it, taste it, feel it, Um, He had one more in there, but they're not real. It's only those things that are intangible, the spiritual things that are real. And that is really the crux of what we're we're talking about today. Okay, so the thorny ground represents competing ideas with the truth. And again, we call those things lies. So as we jump in to James chapter 1, how are you, sir? Good. Good. As we jump into James chapter 1, we're confronted immediately with a word. James says, when tempted, no one should say he's being tempted by God. So, what is the difference between trials in the first part of chapter 1 and temptation in the second part of chapter 1? Okay. Me
0: the okay. Kay. The car, the car is old. the 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 body is wearing out. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, those are trials, but we don't have to be pulled apart from mm-hmm. God during temptation. Whereas trials are just to everyone, and and you either bear up with them or you go down. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Trials are things that are outside of our... I mean, in my... Trials are things that are outside of our control. Temptation is within our control or choice.
1: Okay. Okay. So, a difference. uh, Temptation is a specific test designed to draw us away from God. Uh, Trials are things that are outside of our control, whereas temptation is within our control. There are things that are happening in our sphere of influence. What else? What other, what's the difference here? I I think temptations is the, the the end result is sin. So you're tempted to to sin. Mm -hmm. Trials don't necessarily have sin as an end result. In fact, they could have strengthening your faith as an end result. Yep. But a temptation is a motivation towards sinning. Okay. So it's kind of like the, um, you know, somebody's on a diet and we come along with a candy bar. Uh, th- this is a uh, rudimentary example, but we're holding the Yeah, and we're holding it up in front of them. Oh, don't you want this? Okay, good point. Yep. So the, the temptation is um, where the
0: choice that is expected, because of the temptation, the choice that is expected is a sin. Mm-hmm. Or a, a choice to do the wrong thing, whereas the trial... There's not necessarily even an expectation of a particular mm-hmm. choice. We still have to. With both of them, there's still choices mm-hmm. because we can choose to do wrong things within a trial. Mm-hmm. But the expectation um, is not like to lead you from the wrong thing. It's just that it's there. We live in a fallen world. Those things mm-hmm. exist. So we have to. We have to make choices.
1: Okay. Okay. <laughs>
0: Temptation comes from inside of us. Okay. It's something that we long for, but we're not supposed to have. Yep. So, it's when you know, and it's not God. It's Satan puts that something that we're longing for in front of us. That's the temptation, because you know, I want that candy bar. Yeah. You yeah. Know, I want that other woman. I yeah. want that whatever it is. And then you know, as long as it's not put in front of me, mm-hmm. I don't have no problem. Yeah. But once Satan puts it in front of me. It's kind of like the other day. I wrote down health as the thing that bothered mm-hmm. me because I knew I was going to the doctor, mm-hmm. and I worried about that all week long. And I'm not a worrier, yeah. and you know, got to care of it. Mm-hmm. There's situations, but mm-hmm. he's going to take care of it, you know. And I think so. Sometimes it's the things we utter yeah. that become temptations because yeah. we put it out there for the devil to put mm-hmm. it in front of us. Yep. You know. So, yep. Uh, so I think it's an inner. Wanting
1: temptations Mm -hmm. a lot of times. Okay. I think you're all right. Here's the interesting thing that James does. He uses the exact same word in the original. The translators actually translated it this way. Exact same word. Trial and temptation, same Greek word. Why would he do that? Because James is putting in front of us the idea that there are things that are going to happen in our life that we have one of two choices in the way that we can respond. One is to count it all joy because we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance or endurance. That's one thing we can choose. The other is the temptation that leads to sin, to fall away, to believe the lie and not the truth. And that's, in essence, what James lays out for us. Let's read the passage. When tempted, James says, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Wait a minute, I thought God tested Job.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you you can do those. You you do whatever you want yeah. to him. God allowed Satan mm-hmm. to do his work, mm-hmm. but God didn't.
1: We're gonna we're gonna delve into this in a uh, in a little bit deeper way, but we do need to understand what this means mm-hmm. um, to to put a. An idea, a picture in your head. Uh, This came from uh, Joseph Stoll, who was the president of Moody Bible Institute while I was there. He made this statement, and I wrote it in a Bible that I had long ago. God sits at the gateway of your existence and decides what comes in and what doesn't. Think about that. Whether it's car trouble, health issues, relationship issues, whatever it is, God is sitting there saying, This is okay. He or she can handle this. But there are other things that God says, nope. This isn't coming in because he's sovereign. Okay. When tempted by evil, uh, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to sin to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Okay. Um, the first thing that I want to walk through is this idea of the temptation process. Um, James points out here <clears throat> that when we are tempted the problem is our own and he uses this this phrase evil desire is hooked it's like fishing any fishermen in here I like to fish do you just throw a hook in the water the fish don't go after the empty hook do they you got to bait it and so temptation is bait it is something. Think about it in terms of fishing. You know, you uh, you don't use a, you don't throw a slice of pizza on the hook and throw it in the water. Now, catfish probably eat it, but I mean, you, you use something. Uh, if you're fishing for bass, you might use a frog going across the top of the water. If you're fishing for some some deep fish, you might put a nightcrawler or a minnow and put it down in the bottom of the water, just off the off the uh, um, the, the, what do you call that? The bottom, thank you. <laughs> I'm like, what, what in the world do you call it? It's not a floor. So you're putting something that is natural in front of a fish, hoping to entice it. Temptation is exactly the same thing. It's things that we are going to encounter in everyday life that all of a sudden have an attraction to us. Why? Why? Because we are human. James says it is our own evil desire that that is attracted to that. So the temptation process is our own evil desire leads to being dragged away and enticed. When we look at that thing, whatever it is, and we begin to focus on it, all of a sudden what do we want? It. I don't care what it is. If it's the chocolate bar and we're on a diet, we want the chocolate bar. We can't think about anything else but the chocolate bar. And so we are consumed by it. And and James says this comes from within us, reaching out to this external thing that we are encountering. And then when enticement, when we're hooked in the enticement, when, when we submit to the enticement, and I would even put forth to you, we buy into the lie that the chocolate bar is going to be satisfying. When we do that, then that gives birth to sin. Notice, it's not just an instantaneous, instantaneous here's the chocolate bar, you grab the chocolate bar, ooh, I sinned. Uh, please don't, if you eat a chocolate bar today, I'm not saying you're sinning. I'm using this as an example it's after we have allowed ourselves to succumb to the temptation and believe the lie that then our evil desire actually becomes um, sinful. Now, why do I say this? Why have I kind of explained it this way? Well, I want to walk you through a theology... Of sin and faith if I can. And here's what I mean by that. We're going to mentally think through the Garden of Eden story. So God creates Adam and Eve. Well, he creates Adam and he makes Adam name all the animals, right? Snakes, turtles, frogs, crocodiles. I, I don't know what he called them, but he names all the animals. And Adam looks at it and he says, well, This is all well and good. They all look good. I can imagine that beef's going to taste good and chicken's not. And, uh, you know, vegetables are good to eat. But there's nobody for me. And so God created a desire within Adam to have companionship, to have a partnership, and so God created Eve. And he said, here you go. So he's got Adam and Eve now. Adam and Eve were created... Um, not in a state of sinlessness, right? They were created in a sense of innocence. They did not know what was good and what was bad. As a matter of fact, God then puts them in a garden that has everything in it, and he puts a tree somewhere in the garden. He says, you can have anything you want but that one tree. You cannot have that one tree. In that statement, what is God asking of Adam and Eve? Obedience. Okay. I'm going to ask you to think about that a little bit deeper. Obedience, but why? Was it a blind obedience, or was it because they knew the person that was asking them to do it? So trust. Be trust. What's another word for Trust faith. God was expecting of Adam and Eve faith. A confidence in his character, in his goodness as their creator to trust him and say, God said, we can't have that. That's the truth. Right? Can't have it. I have everything else I want. Okay? So we fast forward, however long it takes, I don't know. Eve's hanging out in the garden one day, and here comes the serpent. And the serpent comes to her and tells her what? The truth or a lie? It's a lie, isn't it? Did God really say that if you eat of that, you would die? Well, yeah, he did. Hmm. Did God tell you that because he's afraid that you'll be like him? Remember, the tree is the knowledge of good and evil. And so Satan begins to undermine not Eve's ability to obey, but her confidence in the character of God. God's afraid that you're going to usurp him. Now, let's pause from the story for a moment, as we think about this from a theological standpoint. God is the creator. He is the great I am. He is self-existent, needs nothing. Could we, even by eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, become like God? No, because we are created. But Satan plants in her mind that that's what God is worried about, that you'll become like him. Knowing good and evil. Okay, back to the story. So what does Eve do? She says, nah, don't want it. I trust God, not you. As a matter of fact, the New Testament writers point this out. Eve was deceived. Eve The truth was twisted in her mind so that she clung to something that was not the truth. She clung to that idea that she could be like God. She could be her own God making the choice of what she would do and what she would not do, right? That's what she clung to. So Eve takes of the fruit and along comes Adam and Adam says, Eve, what did you do? Adam is now stuck with a choice to trust in the God who created him and has given him a clear understanding of what he should and shouldn't do or to trust in his companion to live with her. And in the moment of decision, Adam chooses what's best for him Adam chooses his wife, we look at that and say, "Well, that's a good thing, right? Well, not always. If our wife or our husband is leading us into something that isn't good, and so Adam chooses himself over God. As a matter of fact, he chooses himself as God and says, "I'm going to make this decision. I know you said I shouldn't do that." And he takes of the fruit and he eats it and sin then enters into the world. This idea that we can replace God. We can be God. We can accept lies instead of the truth. I don't know if Adam realized that he was making that decision for you or I, but he was. Um, And that's why Jesus becomes incredibly important. You know, Paul calls... Adam, the first Adam, and Jesus, the second Adam, the one who came and did it right, who constantly trusted in his Father, constantly did what God wanted. So, deception, lies, and the truth ultimately become the basis of what temptation is all about. Okay? We all on the same page? Turn to Romans chapter 1. I want to, uh, and by the way, I have failed to point this out the last couple weeks. Every week I will give you at the bottom another uh, passage that you can compare what we've been talking about uh, that you can read and study. It typically will be from the writings of Paul, uh, but not always. Um, But that will always be at the bottom of the worksheet. So, Romans chapter 1, we have Paul's exposition of of why God is exhibiting judgment on the world. Uh, The heading in my Bible says, God's wrath against mankind. Chapter 1, verse 18 begins with, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth, "...by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them." Notice the crux of what Paul's going to be talking about is God's wrath is being revealed because people suppress the truth. They deny the truth. Okay, And faith is what? Submission to the truth. Faith is submitting to the truth. It's not only acknowledging that the truth is true, But it's then living our lives as though it is true. The follow through, the the obedience. I want to spend the majority of our time in verse 21 and following. Verse 21, for although they, that is mankind, knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Look at verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator. In the moment... That Adam made his choice. What did he do? This could almost be written about Adam. He exchanged the truth of God for a lie. The truth is God is. God is the creator. Has the right to tell Adam what fruit he can eat and what fruit he can't eat. And he, in a moment he cast that aside. And he said, I'm going to take the created thing. I'm going to take Eve. And I'm going to eat the fruit. And I'm going to be with her even in our miserable selves at this point, forward, because of sinfulness. Um, Drop down to verse 28. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. A depraved mind is a kind of a technical term The the way that Paul uses it, it would be very similar to the way that James in James chapter 1 uses the phrase, our own evil desire. If you remember back when uh, uh, Michael DeFazio and Mark Christian were uh, teaching through the book of Romans on Sundays, Michael brought up the illustration of the Walmart shopping cart that I always get. It's got my name on it, I think. And you, you push that cart and it's got a bum wheel. And it always wants to go one direction or the other. And the more crap you put in there, the worse it gets, right? Isn't that just like our lives? The more stuff we pile on and throw in there, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And it just keeps pulling to the left or to the right. That's me and you. That's what a depraved mind is. It always leads us to some place so that James can tell us, let's go back to the book of James, James can tell us that temptation happens when this thing comes into our life and our own evil desire, there goes the shopping cart, takes us to that thing and we are enticed by it. And when enticement is full grown, it gives birth to sin and we latch onto that thing and we live in it and we relish it. So the temptation process is really, in reality... It is a matter of truth versus lie. The way to defeat the temptation process is to always understand what the truth is and what the lie is. That's why Jesus, when he talks about the, the thorns in the parable of the sower, he calls it the deceitfulness of wealth or riches. It's a lie. There's no comfort in that. There's no stability in that. As a matter of fact, James is going to later say, they're going to pass away, riches are going to pass away too. Uh, I like the. Uh, I forget who said it. None of us, you know, you've never never seen a, a hearse haul in a U-haul, right? You don't get to take it with you, and so there is an emptiness in that. So the uh, temptation process is defeated by understanding the truth in defining the lies in our life. Why is it important that we participate in Bible study, in prayer? Meditation on God's word so that we know the truth. Um, When Kathy and I first got married, she worked at a bank. And they were trained to count or to uh, identify counterfeit money. And the way that they were trained to identify counterfeit money is handling lots and lots and lots of real money. They could tell by the feel when something wasn't right. They didn't ever show them counterfeit money. They would make them count in the training process, make them count real money over and over and over again so you get the feel of it and you understand what it feels like. Now, what does all of this mean? I think what James is getting at here, these things that come into our life that are trials become temptations because of our bent towards something. So when something happens, it could be an automobile, it could be health issues. So these things come into our life that we don't have any control over. We can trust God in those, in those moments, or we can become angry. And in our anger, we can lash out at people, or we can worry, we can fret, and we can lose sight of the fact that God is in control. Uh, we can idolize a relationship in our lives, whether it's our marriage, our children, uh, any of those kinds of things to where we we put so much confidence in this person that the moment that they let us down, our world is destroyed. We can even do that with pastors, church leaders, politicians. So I think what James is, is trying to get us to understand here is that temptation is really not so much about what's happening outside of us. It's about what's happening inside of us. And notice how he finishes this passage. Um, Don't be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. All of these things, all of these desires that we have are good things from God. Whether it is uh, sexual desires, um, our, our, our appetites, um, the desire for success. All of the, God says all of those things are good. James, excuse me, James says all of those things are good. They come from God. The problem is they're tainted by our own sinfulness. But notice what he says next. Who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth. Through the word of truth. It is the truth that is the mechanism that gives us birth or rebirth. It is the, when we understand the truth about who God is and who we are, that we are in desperate need of Him, it's not about us being good, it's about us being made good. By God. That's the entire book of Romans in a nutshell. You can't be good enough. You must be made to be good. And the only person that can do that is Jesus Christ. And so, James, I keep wanting to say Paul, because he talks so much like Paul here. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a first fruits of all he created. Romans... Chapter 7 and 8 talks about how creation is in frustration right now because it's subjected to sinfulness and its destructive nature. Um, When I was a kid, um, we used to go out into the woods in the wintertime and cut firewood. And we obviously wouldn't cut down live trees. We would cut down or chop up dead trees that had fallen. Or if there was a, a tree that... It was obviously dead. We would cut that one down and, and cut it up. And I remember being out there in the woods thinking, why do trees die? I mean, do they get old just like us? Well, sometimes it's disease. Sometimes it is old age. But in reality, the reason they die is sin. It goes all the way back to the choice that Adam and Eve made. And when they... When they believe the lie, it set in motion a process of decay. And Paul says creation is groaning as it bears up under the weight of sin and and this frustration. And the only thing that will change that is God's renewal. James says we're going to be first. We will be the first fruits of that. God is remaking us now as we sit here right now. He is remaking us. Uh, He changes our mind and our minds begin to fall in line with what our hearts say. So, if faith is submission to the truth, where does good living come in? Well, Paul talks about this. He says there is an obedience that comes from faith. When you trust God and you trust in the character of God, you're going to do things the way that he asks, right? But you're not just going to will it to be. You're going to allow yourself to be strengthened by him to do that. Uh, The mind will be changed so that we acknowledge the truth as the truth. We reject the lies. And we say, okay, I'm going to do this. It's not easy. Somebody wronged me. And I'm going to forgive them. I don't want to. My humanity tells me, no, go throat punch them. But I understand the truth. And the truth is, I have been forgiven so much that now I need to step out and forgive. And so we begin to take that step towards obedience, to, to begin to, to submit to the truth that God has laid in front of us. And all of a sudden, His Spirit is right there empowering us to do that which we in our own strength couldn't do. That is the entire process that James is going to take us through in, in the book of, uh, book of James is how God is remaking us in all these different ways. How we can control our tongue. How we can actually carry out the uh, promises uh, of our faith. How we can actually walk in obedience because of our faith. How we can uh, put in perspective um, rich and poor, slave and free, all of those things uh, based on the truth. So, um, in conclusion, I would ask you to compare this coming week, Romans chapter 7. Uh, in this passage, this is where, you know, Paul makes his famous declaration. You know, the thing I want to do, I don't do. The thing I don't want to do, this is what I always do. Who's going to rescue me from this body of sin and death? Uh, spend some time meditating on it. Because I think it's important that we understand we're not alone in this. The Apostle Paul struggled with these very same things that you and I struggle with. Uh, And yet he was able to find victory and success because he understood the truth and had his mind actually changed, remade.
0: Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com